The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, if there's ever times where I get a faulty sensor or whatever it is with my with my CGM and it says I'm low, and I'm like, wait, hold on a second, I'm not low. Yeah. And because of that, I can second guess it. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? Owen here. Appreciate you tuning in for another episode of the Insulone Podcast, Redefining Diabetes. Thank you for joining me. Delighted you're here. You're going to love today's episode. (laughs) I hope you're going to love it as much as I enjoyed recording it. I have Mr. Tom Allison on for his second episode on this podcast. If you don't know who he is already, I'm sure you do. He is a diabetic coach. He has his own diabetic podcast, and he is so passionate about diabetes. You will notice that in this episode of the podcast, he really, really, really is just, he just, he loves helping people with diabetes, which really comes across in this episode. I will warn you in advance, Tom curses a lot. Uh, that's just part of that's part of who he is so if you are listening with younger members of the family just bear that in mind there's some choice words in here but that's part of who tom is and he does amazing things for the diabetic community so i won't take more of your time enjoy the episode i'll chat to you soon hello tom thank you for joining me again <laughs> my man you knew, you knew i was gonna fucking do that straight away considering Guys, listen to this. If you got us both on Instagram, you're going to know whenever I put a post out or Owen puts a post out, we'll look at our comments on each other because all we go is, my man, and it's like a little fucking game now. I have actually got notifications turned on on my phone when you post, mate. That's why I get it in. <laughs> I get it in. Up. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had it set up for a while and stuff before we got Polly and that friendly, but that's why I managed to get the comment in within 30-something seconds of you posting. I'm fucking there. I'm on it straight away. Ah, well, yeah, there were, I think there was a post. There was a post I put up, I think, just during this week. And it was almost like before I'd even pressed the button, you had commented. So, uh, yeah, I always appreciate the support. 
know, yeah, you're like, fucking hell, he's here again. <laughs> you get off that. my page. You're banned. You're banned from the page. Anyway, Tom, oh. thanks for joining me again. I was looking forward to getting you on straight away after we did the first one because I knew that it was a good episode. A lot of good, valuable information, but it was a lot of fun recording too. So I'm looking forward to this one. I know we said that we're going to do this one straight off the cuff haven't prepared anything for it what i did do was posted an instagram story and i said i'm doing a podcast episode with big man tom any questions any topics you want us to cover and like i said to you before one of the questions is quite fitting and it says if you're starting out for a long run or cycle two hours plus what would your starting blood sugar be you're obviously massively into cycling and stuff so mm. no better man to learn from love it well thanks for <laughs> having me on first of all and we know it's always a fucking party when we get together and i always get people coming to me saying hey i heard you on owen's podcast and likewise when you've been on mine um i got loads of value so guys if that's you and, and if you're listening thank you like this is why we do this at the end of the day isn't it do you know what i mean to deliver value to motivate and inspire you guys so thanks for supporting both of us absolutely uh, so great question, this great question. So I've just done yesterday. I did a two a two and a half hour bike ride, and today this afternoon I've just been out with my mate, and we did like fifty five miles. So that's looking at the top end of three hours. Hmm. Um, and I did a bit on my Instagram story yesterday, but going to more depth, and I'll tell you where I like to start in a minute. But I think what you're going to get more value from, and this is what works for me and how I found it, is how I prepare for a long ride or run. Because for me, cycling's a little bit different than a run, right? So let's take cycling. I've got enough data to know that when I'm on the bike, and this is just through trial and error of going out on a bike and this happening, I, I drop. Yeah, it might be the first thirty minutes. I might get a bit of a spike when my body's, you know, the liver's pushing out glucose, getting ready for exercise, or if I hit a hill or something, and then I start to drop. I've got enough data to back that up. My first cycle, I didn't change anything. No temp basal. No adjustments, nothing. Um, I always use the two or three hour rule. I try and exercise three hours after a bolus or a lot of my workouts will be done faster. So I've got no active insulin. I know you're the same with that, Owen. Um, Absolutely. And first time I went on the bike, cycled and I had jelly babies. I nearly ate a full packet. I had to pull over fucking over five times because I was dropping low. So the next time I made adjustments. So I've got enough data, first of all, to know that cycling drops me. So my first tip for you guys is if it's running or cycling or even workouts, Go and do it and don't make any adjustments. Go and do it and just be prepared. Just be open to getting the feedback from your body and seeing what happens, right? Now, I've got enough data to know that cycling drops me. I'll tell you about running in a sec. Cycling drops me. It doesn't matter whether it's an hour. I'll drop towards maybe the end or it's four hours. I'm going to drop at some point. So what I do, I'm lucky enough to be on a pump. I set a temporary basal anywhere from usually 80%, 70%. That's a decrease. So that's like a 20 or 30% decrease of my basal insulin. An hour to two hours before I go on my bike. Now, the reason I do it an hour and two hours before is because, guys, as we know, rapid-acting insulin is in the pump that's making up your background insulin. We also know it takes two and a half to three hours for that insulin to work. So if I was to set a temp basal as soon as I'm going out the door and I go on a ride for two hours, when I get back, two hours later, that temp basal's kicking in. I'm off my fucking ride. What's the point? I'm, I'm just going to probably end up spiking. So mm. we need to think ahead, especially if you're on a pump, and I reduce my basal rate an hour 
every 90 minutes to two hours before I'm going on the bike. That's the first thing that I do, yeah? And then I look at where my level is, yeah? And this is the specific answer to this question. Now, I am happy going on my bike or a run on this anywhere from six to 10 moles. I will, I will, I'll sometimes go out 12, 13 if I have to, knowing I may get a bit of a spike, but I'm going to drop. And that's the reason. If I'm at four or five, I have a small snack, an apple, a banana, four jelly babies, something something just to give me that kick, give me that spike. And then when I'm on the bike, yeah, I might spike up to nine or 10. So if, if I'm at four or five, I might spike up within the first 30 minutes of the ride to nine or 10 or sometimes 12. I have been 14 before now. But then I start to drop. I start to come back down. Yeah. So I always try and get myself between six and 10. If I'm lower than six, like I said, small carb-based snack for me, it's handful of jelly babies, banana, apple, something like that. If I'm above, if I this is where it gets a little bit tricky, what I do for me. If I'm above 14, I will err on the side of caution of giving a correction because I don't really like to work out. And I say this to all my clients, if you're above 14, don't work out unless you know it's a walk or something that will drop you. Yeah. So if I am in the higher range, I debate on what's going on and decide whether or whether I'm going to give a correction or not. If I'm under 14, if I'm between 10 and 14, ain't no way I'm giving a correction. I know the bike might kick me up a little bit more, but it's going to drop me at some point. For running with me, I try and keep the same. I think like we're going all in on this, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting a word in. I love it. <laughs> we're going all in here. Yeah, I'm loving it. Plastic. Very interesting. Running for me, um, I do the same temp basil. Yeah, but I tend to, it doesn't drop me like cycling does. I may get a bit of a spike, I may drop a couple of moles, but it doesn't really drop me like cycling does. More often than not, I'm dropping a couple of moles or I'm staying stable. Do you know what I mean? So it's a bit different than cycling for me. This is even on my longest run yet was about an hour, 40 minutes. Same has happened on that. Um, it doesn't drop me heavily like cycling would. The other thing to note, what I always do, I take my pump off on both of them. I've only started doing that in the past couple of months. So I take my pump off. I set a temp basil, let's say two hours before I'm going to do it. When I'm about to go out, I take my pump off. That means if the ride or the run or whatever is longer than two hours, when I get back in, I've got no basal insulin on board. I'm not recommending doing this. This is what works for me. And when I get back, I give myself a bolus of insulin straight away. I'll faff around, I'll have a shower, I'll do what I need to do. And then that time I'm normally starting to drop, I'm sensitive because of after the workout with the insulin and I'll have some food. So that's something that I've found over the past couple of months works really well for me. And for me, it stops the high poles later on because I've got no basal insulin. I've taken my pump off for a couple of hours. Remember what we said about two hours prior? I've got no basal insulin. Yeah. So that's what I found works for me over the past couple of months. Not saying if you're on a pump, try it and stuff. This is what works for me. I've tweaked and fine-tuned this. What I do always do as well, whether I'm on a bike or a run, is if I'm on a bike, I'll have my carb drink, which is about 30 to 40 grams of carbs. I'm lucky enough to be able to see my blood glucose on my Garmin computer, on my bike computer. It's linked up Dexcom, SugarMate, onto that. And if I start to see an arrow down on my bike, I will sip that, or a diagonal arrow down. I'll take a sip. That spikes me a little bit. Cycling will drop me again. I'll take a sip if I need to. I also keep gels at Science in Sport, like car-based gels, energy gels on me for my run and for my bike. And I've always got like a sandwich bag partly full 
of jelly babies. If it's too full, it's a fucking pain in the arse and they melt when you get that hot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we, we went right around the bush <laughs> on that, didn't we? But hopefully I'll give you some fucking yeah. value there of what I do, but... What, a, what an unreal answer. I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to, to go oh. into such detail, but I love it. I always love hearing how other people deal with those sort of things. And you said it yourself plenty of times. That is what works for me. I'm yeah. not recommended for everybody else. And that's something that we both always try and get across. And we really emphasize consistently is, yeah. yes, we have the same condition, but what I do can be completely different to what you do. Even listening to you tom it's similar in terms of obviously i learn about myself trial and error you do things over and over and over and over you realize what works what doesn't work the main thing for exercising and particularly kind of extended cardio sessions is insulin on board that Mm. that's that's the main thing yeah when you say that it's been like trial and error, trial and error for you to understand what works for you. How long did it take you to discover what works for you? Oh, what a mega question. So I'll start by saying, look, guys, the first, I'm 34 now, I was diagnosed at 21. The first four or five months, I've always loved training in the gym, weights, and that that's my base. You know what I mean? Like it's changed since I've got into cycling and wanting to do a triathlon and probably running and swimming in there. But I've always enjoyed lifting weights. When I was first diagnosed, I've lifted weights since I was 16. Rolling a few years, 21, gets out on diabetes. I didn't exercise weights or anything. I didn't do any cardio. I couldn't even do a fucking burpee. I was unfit. I was just lifting weights, <laughs> just bodybuilding, yeah. I didn't exercise for four, about four months because I was scared of what would happen to my levels, yeah. And my first week of going back, first two weeks, I was in the gym lifting weights, finger pricking because we didn't have fucking CGMs or Libras then. Mm. We didn't have them. They weren't a proper thing. In America, they, they may have been Dexcom, but Libra weren't around then. So I was yeah. finger pricking before I started, five minutes into my workout, 20 minutes into my workout, 30 minutes. I was fucking obsessed with seeing what would, ha- what would happen. And the first weight workout that I did, I finished. I started on about seven. I finished on about 14 moles. I got a spike. I was like, why the fuck am I getting a spike? So then what I did next time is I did it again. I got a spike again. I was like, right. Because my DSN wasn't the greatest with me, I'm not slating DSNs, there's some mega ones out there, but she wasn't the greatest because they always told me, if you exercise, you're not allowed to, don't inject, don't inject in that. What's a DSN like, for somebody right. who doesn't Diabetic, doesn't Diabetic specialist nurse or endocrinologist if you're in the States. So they was like, oh, under no circumstances have any insulin around working out on that. I was like, right, okay. So I'm getting spikes from weight training. I've got enough data to back this up. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to try putting a unit in. I did it, and it started to stable me out. So that took me about three or four weeks to get the the, the weightlifting side of stuff on it. When I started cycling, I've been cycling consistently for a year now. Yeah, My first ride, like I just said then, I went out. I had so many fucking hypos because I didn't make any adjustments. The next time, I was like, right, let me try a 20% decrease in my basal insulin. Did that, had a couple of lows, but it kind of sorted it out. The next time I went out, I tried... I've always had no active insulin on board. I tried a bigger decrease. I think it was about 30%. Um, and I think I must have had a banana or something to spam me before. And that, see- that seemed to work. So it took me like three or four rides. But I'm still, I've got a baseline to work from now. And I'm sure you have as well. Like we all running our workouts. But it is still, and this is one thing I want to say to you guys. First, first things first, yeah. 
go and do it and get the data and see what happens to you. Because even though cycling might drop me, maybe if Owen got on a bike, he might get a fucking big spike. Do you know what I mean? And and I've got some clients, hey, running keeps me stable. Running spikes some of my clients. So we are all different. So go and just try it a couple of times and get the data. Once you've got that, you can make an analysis, try tweaking things, and then go at it again. Put the tweaks in place and go at it again. But still now, mate, and I'll be honest, I make decisions based on what's going on in the moment. And I think that's something that we've got to understand as type ones. I've just told you, yeah, I try to decrease by 20, 30% my basal rate. I might spike myself if I'm at, at the lower end of a banana, but if I'm not, I won't. And then if I'm at the higher end, I'll debate whether to give a correction. We've got, I've got a baseline to work from. I know I'm going to decrease that basal rate and I end up taking my pump off. But it depends what happens with your levels in the moment. You need to have some confidence in this as well. And then it's like when I'm out on the bike or, or and I see a diagonal arrow down, but then sometimes what if I was to drink a bit of carb drink and then it was to send me up a little bit too far? Like you need to get enough data and be ready to react in the moment as well. And I think that's a big thing with type ones. Like it took me a good few times to, to get it where I want it to be. But that's coming from years of understanding how insulin works. That's one of the keys. Do you know what I mean? Using that two or three hour rule, no exercise within two or three hours, if possible. It's not always possible. But I think just go and try whatever it is you're thinking of trying, guys, listening to this. Get the data. Do it a couple of times just so you've got enough enough worth of data to make an analysis from and then start making adjustments from that. And you won't always get it right. You're not always going to get it right. I still fuck up sometimes. You know what I mean? That's just the way it is. I think that's the big thing. And you said it. I think you used the word obsessed. That jumped out at me. And I have used that word in the past Mm. from my experience with my initial diagnosis because I think me and you are pretty similar, Tom. And we got it because we realized that, whoa, this is like our health. Yeah. It's important that we know what's going on. So I was obsessed by it. I remember. I was in college supposed to be doing other work and I'd be like at the back of the class looking up stuff about diabetes <laughs> just so I could know what the story was with it. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head there by saying you need to have the data or the data, yeah. wherever you, <laughs> however you pronounce it. Yeah. And the only way we're going to get that data is by checking our blood sugar. It's yeah. when you were in the gym lifting weights, seeing the difference from being on the bike now, you were checking your blood sugar before 15 Mm. minutes in, half an hour in, 45 minutes in. That's the only way you understand how your own body reacts to things. And that's something that, again, we both try and get across all the time is essentially it's the same condition. It is the same condition, but completely different and unique to us. Yeah. Turn your phone off. <laughs> yeah, I won't even going to say anything, but if you want, you want to get ratty about it. I'm, like, I'm only joking. <laughs> you um, you did something interesting recently, or it's actually after the first pod, after the first time you were on this podcast, you said you were going to go off the pump and back on the pens mm-hmm. to see what it was like. Yeah. So, what was your experience like? So, I'm glad that I didn't actually manage to go out on a ride. Um, during this time of doing this. I think I just did a few little workouts and stuff like that, and, and, and that was fine. 
but I didn't. I obviously went on walks and stuff, but I didn't go on a ride, so I didn't have any data there to know the difference now between. Because I've only been cycling for the past year or so, and I've been on a pump for the past three or four years, so I was a bit gutted on that. Maybe I'll turn back over to pens at some point and do that. But yeah, so I started when I was diagnosed on Lantus, so Glargine and Nova Rapid. Um, so I'm on and now. Then, yeah. Um, and the problem that I had is I get dawn phenomenon. So I get that spike. You guys listening to this will know if you go to bedding range, providing you've not been an absolute dick and ate a massively high fat and high carb meal before bed, you know, spike your water out then, mate. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, providing you're not eating like a cock before bed. Yeah, and I'll just say that. Um, if you could go to bed in range and then you wake up and you're massively high, it's probably something called dawn phenomenon. Now, I know for me, around the hours of 3 a.m., I get a spike. Now, when I was on pens, on Glargine and that, no matter how I tweaked it, it'd either be enough background to deal with the dome phenomenon, but then too much, I'd be having so many lows throughout the day, or it'd be not enough to deal with the dome phenomenon, and it'd keep me stable throughout the day. So my DSN, diabetic specialist nurse and doctor at the time, moved me over to Traceba, and I was getting the same shit on that, so I was like, right, what an insulin pump. And that's why I went onto a pump. The main reason, so I could adjust my basal insulin every hour if I wanted to, but I could sort that spike out. So I need my most amount of basal insulin or background insulin, if you want to call it that, um, throughout the hours of like midnight, three till six, seven in the morning. And that's because I get the dawn phenomenon. Then when I'm up and I'm moving around, I need less background. And that's why I went into a pump. But I challenged myself after, uh, I think, our last chat, and I was like, I'm going to go back onto pens. So I chose Levermere, guys, and I chose Levermere because that stays in your system for 12 to 16 hours, whereas Traceba's like 36 hours and Glargine's like 24 hours or something. Yeah, so I was like, right, I'm going to go Levermere because I can split the dose. And if I can split the dose, maybe I can take more in the evening to stop my dawn phenomenon with my nighttime one and a little bit less in the day. Yeah, so I'm not going to have a load of lows. And I pretty much nailed it. I got a small spike, but I pretty much nailed it. And then my rapid acting was absolutely fine anyway. So I'll let you guys into, I was going to say a secret, it's not a secret. I only use my pump now for my basal insulin or extender boluses. The rest of it, and I'm holding up an over-rapid pen here, I bolus with a pen. Few reasons I didn't know that, you did that. Yeah, yeah, I do that. I've started doing that in the past couple of months. few reasons that I do that is my pump. I'm on the AccuCheck Viva combo. If I put more than four units in, it leaks through the cannula because it pushes the insulin in too fast. Yeah. And also what I found, a few of my clients have found this who are on uh, pumps, they still correct a high blood glucose with pens. Why? It just seems to absorb faster. I don't know why. It just seems to get in faster. So I always bolus if you need to do corrections with pens. My pump's responsible for my background insulin now and I use that for extended bolusing. But... Back on to, I love how I just fucking go off topic. <laughs> no, I love it. I love hey! it. Well, yeah. But when I was on pens, hey, I stayed on. I stayed on Levermere and Nova Rapid for about eight weeks. And it was fine. So my average, I'll give you some some numbers for it. I was on Libra at the time. I'm now running Dexcom. My seven-day average, I always managed to keep between six and seven moles and my seven day timing target dailies can fluctuate and that i do have targets on that but i'm telling you seven days so you can get an idea so my average glucose across like seven days you always try and keep between six and seven yeah um sometimes it might be in the fives like sometimes it might be in the high sixes timing target which we know is one that counts 
I'm always happy 70% or above. Normally, I'm knocking on 80 to 85%. That's when I'm on the pump. When I went on to pens, my average was anywhere from 6.5 to 7.5. And my timing target was about high 70s, low 80%. So it didn't have a major difference, even with that dawn phenomenon, which I managed to nail after a few getting a few nights worth. Well, it took me about seven days a week to adjust the weather mid to sort that out. So it didn't have a huge difference. And if there's something I want the listeners to take from this, guys, it's that fucking technology isn't going to save you. Like when I was, uh, and Owen, you'll say this as well. Look, guys, my first A1C was probably in the sevens or eights, yeah? I was on pens like Owen's using. After that, I managed to nail it down and I'm consi- I was consistently like around 5.5 to 6 or 6.5. That was on pens. I went onto a pump and now I'm always around 5 to 5.5. So there's not a, a huge difference. We know A1C is a three-month average. It's not the be-all and end-all, say that. There's not a huge difference. What you're using to manage your diabetes is like the icing on a cake, and I'll say that. If you're on pump, you've got a Dexcom, you've got a Libra. Love it. Like, like you've got a Libra, you're on pens. This technology is the icing on the cake. The fucking cake mix is your brain, how you understand like ins- how insulin works, how you understand food, if you're eating well, how active you are, understanding exercise, your brain is the fucking cake mix. The external shit is the icing on that cake. And that's one thing I want to get across to you guys. 100%. Sure you- <laughs> I know you'll agree that. with that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And look, sometimes on this podcast, I sound like a broken record saying, do not rely on diabetes tech as... Yeah your savior of yeah. course it's beneficial to have and it helps with exercise and to understand mm. blood sugars better and these kind of things but the analogy that you use of the cake mix your diabetes is that cake and yeah. how well the cake turns out is not just because of the tech or the pens or the pumps that you use it's no. about understanding your body your diabetes your insulin activity how exercise affects you. Hmm. And that's what jumped out at me when you were talking about the fact that there weren't really any differences between your bloods with a pump and a pen. No. And that's because you are so well-versed in relation to managing your own diabetes. So the tech that you use isn't going to make a massive difference because you adjust the tech that you use based off your knowledge, your day, your activity, your stress, your patterns, your lifestyle. Yeah, we, we, we have to control that tech. It's not got a fucking mind of its own. Even people on auto loop, yeah? An auto loop, for anyone that doesn't know, is when your pump links up to a CGM and it does your background, your basal insulin for you. It works on algorithms, yeah? I've had clients come to me on auto loop, and what I tend to do with some of them is I say, right, turn that fucking auto loop off. We're going to do some basal testing. And they nail their basal rate much better than an automated fucking loop will get that. Because our brains control this technology, guys. Like, you need to know what to do with data. Nothing will be better than your brain. If you self-educate or you hire a coach, or, hey, look, two coaches here. <laughs> two mega folks got it in there. Drop that one in. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, or you get a coach or you get education on diabetes, your brain's so fucking powerful and your gut feeling towards your diabetes is so fucking powerful that cannot be repl- re- replicated in technology. 
And it's another thing that I see as well, because I've got obviously a lot of tight ones on Instagram. I see um, they were on finger pricks. Oh, I can't wait to get started on my Dexcom. Can't wait to get started on my Libra. My glucose control is going to be so much better. No, hang on a minute. Shut the fuck up because you can still achieve great control with pricking your fingers. I still have clients who prick the fingers. Yes, we can't see time in range, but we can get an average. Do you know what I mean? And you can still, I've just told you, when I was diagnosed, there wasn't a Libra. There wasn't a Dexcom. I was using finger pricks and my A1C, I couldn't see time in target or average glucose, but my A1C was still around like six, which is really, really good to get that on, on pens and stuff like, right? And I was just using finger pricks. And I actually, every now and again, I take my Dexcom or my Libra off and go back to finger pricks. I challenge some of my clients to do the same because we can become that reliant on technology, that reliant on technology, I think. And I think it's, we'll go off another topic here, but I think it's important to be in tune with your body, not what a fucking trend arrow is saying, because it can be wrong sometimes. Guys listening to this, how many times have you seen your, if you're using a Libra, Dexcom or CGMs, you've seen it saying you're in range, but you feel fucking shit. You feel like your mouth's dead dry or something like that. You prick your finger, you're out of range, you're high. Or vice versa, it's saying you're in range, but you're a bit shaky. You feel a bit hungry, you know, those classic hypo symptoms. You prick your finger, you're having a hypo. You need to be in tune with your body. Technology does not replace how you can feel your body and what and your fucking brain. And that's a big one, I think, as well. And I think I always say that that put myself... Well, this is what I feel, anyway, personally, about my diabetes. Is I only got a CGM last year, this year. Yeah, yeah, so, I remember that. I remember up, yeah, <laughs> I was very excited, I have to say. And I do love it. <laughs> but up to that point for eight, nine odd years, I was finger pricking. And when you're finger pricking, you check your blood sugar and it's only that snapshot of that moment in time. You can't see the graphs, you can't see your time and range. But like you said, Tom, you can get the averages. You can still have really, really good management. But what I feel is an advantage, well, what has worked as an advantage for me finger pricking for so many years is I had to rely so much on how I feel. Yes. I had to rely so much on this is what it feels like when your blood sugar is low mm. or this is what it feels like when your blood sugar is high. That and is... now because I'm so in tune with that, if there's ever times where I get a faulty sensor or whatever it is with my with my CGM and it says I'm low and I'm like wait hold on a second I'm not low yeah and because of that I can second guess it yeah whereas if you are fully reliant on a CGM or tech and it says you're low you can be like I'm low and you can treat a low that's not actually there yeah. and then skyrocket like you know that is what you said and that I come from the same as you starting on finger prick Guys, listening to this, this is a very... I do apologise if anyone listens to this that has hypo and awareness. I'm lucky enough, and I know you are going to not have that. I understand how shit that can be, and yes, you can have to re rely on CGMs then. But guys that haven't, like, being in tune with how your body feels at certain levels in terms of if you're in range or if you're high or if you're low. Yes, yeah, sometimes we can be out a little bit, but... But having that and being in tune with your body is such a fucking valuable skill. It's such a valuable thing to have as a type 1 diabetic. It really, really is, guys. Not being dependent on looking at a graph or numbers or trend arrows. 
how you feel, how you feel. They can't build fucking technology for that. And that's such a valuable part of being a type one. You need to be in tune with your body. It's like I was changing my Dexcom a few weeks ago and I had a turbo session on the bike. So I'll bike on an indoor trainer, I had a workout. So they changed my Dexcom, two-hour warm-up. I went, right, we're going fucking old school then, Tom. And I was like, I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm in tune with my body. So it gets on. It's only an hour long. 40 minutes into it, I was like, I feel, I pricked my finger when I started. I was like six. I was in, in fine range. And it's quite an intense workout indoors. So sometimes I tend to drop. I stay the same. But anyway, get 40 minutes into the workout and I'm like, I feel a little bit low. I can, I can sense it coming on. I'm going to have a gel. So I had a gel. There's like 20 grams of carbs in it. Stuff. Another 20 minutes on the bike, finished my workout, got off, pricked my finger. I was 4.9. I'm in tune with my body. And especially around exercise as well, that's crucial because you're not always going to have access to your blood glucose levels. But I only knew that because I'm in tune with my body and what it feels like. Yeah, and it's a more so a safety thing. Mm. And like you said, if you're exercising and you don't have access to your finger pricker at that time or whatever it may be, your CGM, just for your own safety as a diabetic, the time between your blood sugar dropping and potential passing out or whatever it is, mm. that time can be quite short. And there's only yeah. a short window for you to treat a hypo, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So even if you feel like you are somebody who does rely on a CGM, I think if you do have a low, it's important that you kind of check in with yourself and say, hmm, okay, what does this feel like? Because if yeah. there's a certain feeling with a hypo, yeah. But then on top of that, I would definitely recommend that you double check with a finger prick because your finger prick is always going to be more accurate than a CGM. That's just the way it is yeah, because that's always. your actual blood, whereas a CGM is in your interstitial fluid. So it's not actually your blood. Yeah, always. But definitely check in with how you feel and mm. check in with a finger pricker because it's important that you're able to identify highs and lows as much as possible naturally. Just from a safety standpoint more than anything. Yeah, it is. And what you said there is key as well. And I'm big on this with myself and with my clients. Guys, and I'll say this to you. If your CGM, whatever you're using, is saying that you're low, you should be pricking your finger anyway. If it's saying you're high, you should be pricking your finger anyway. I get my clients, probably not all of them do it, but I do the majority of the time myself is, here we go. I've got a Dexcom. I still prick my finger in the morning to see what my levels are. I still prick it if I'm feeling a bit funky around meals and I still prick it before I go to bed because I don't fucking 100% trust it over, over finger pricks. And you guys should be the same. It will not replace, and I say this to all my clients, and I'm big on this, it, it doesn't replace finger pricks. And a good little challenge for you as well, if you have got hypo-awareness and stuff like that, guys, and you're using a CGM or Libra or Dexcom, like I mentioned before, that I'll get some of my clients doing that I do at times, why don't you try next time it runs out? Keep it off for seven days and use your finger prick. Keep it off. Get in tune with your body. Challenge yourself a little bit. Keep it off or even for two or three days. Do you know what I mean? Challenge yourself a little bit. Use your finger prick. Use it to learn that valuable skill of getting in tune with your body. Absolutely. Big time. It's a good good challenge that I might even do. Yeah. <laughs> There's the voice crack. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering when it was going to come. At least once every episode, my voice will crack. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I might try that myself. Take the CGM off and just go back <laughs> old school, as you say. Yeah. 
Here's another question that I got from Instagram. <clears throat> There's another voice crack. Oh yes. <laughs> You're making me nervous, Tom. <laughs> my man. <laughs> so the, one of the questions that we got was, what do you think is the most difficult part of living with type 1? Oh. That's a good oh. question. That's a very, very good question. A very good question. It's hard to answer. And I think it's hard because shit has become that atomic. Now, like in terms of carb counting, I spoke about this on one of my uh, podcast episodes. I see food, I look at it and I can tell you the carbs in it, the fats, the protein, that, that's become atomic. That was, do you know what I mean, something that's happened. Dialing up on, on the injection or doing phase rates. It's all become atomic for me. But I won't lie, like, I think... The most difficult thing and the thing that frustrates me the most at some time. So if I'm having a bit of a shitter of a time and where I'm seeing like everything's a bit of a drag, things are a chore, I'm better at not being like that now, but it still happens. Things things get, and I mean life in general, like things do get a little bit too much for me at times. I'm only human, do you know what I mean? Like you guys, when things get a little bit stressful for me in terms of life, then the shit I have to do as a type one starts to add to that stress a little bit. And I mean, like, pre-planning my fucking decreasing my basal insulin if I want to go on a bike ride, trying to pre-bolus, do you know what I mean? Or, like, when I'm out on a ride, I'm trying to go on a run or on a walk, and I'm fucking dropping low. And I'm having to, like, eat some jelly babies and stuff like that. So I'd say the stuff that we have to do as type 1 has become atomic for me now. It's absolutely fine. I accepted it years ago. But still... When stuff starts to go fucking hey-ho in my life, maybe it's, I don't know, business, relationships, or I'm just not having a good day mentally, the things that I then have to do as a type one, I see to start to add to that stress. So I know that's not a specific answer, but still with me, I'm only human. Things get a little bit much for me at times. And when they do in general life, I'm just like, here we fucking go again, hello. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever it is, <clears throat> I'm starting to spike. I fancy going on a walk, but I, I've just eaten. I'm probably going to drop. Let's have some fucking handful of jelly babies. So all the stuff that we have to do as tight ones, when my life gets a little bit stressful, I see as add, adds to the stress a little bit. I don't let it get me down. I don't let it get me down, but it still does add to the stress sometimes, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think with most aspects of your life, when you are having a shitty week or a shitty day or whatever it is, vast majority of daily routines are a lot more difficult. Mm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And naturally, when you throw diabetes into that mix, the extra effort of planning ahead, pre-bolusing, carb counting, dealing with highs, dealing with lows is a lot more difficult. Yeah. So do you feel that because, like you said, you accepted it years ago, it's more so external factors that can impact your diabetes rather than diabetes itself. Yeah, I'd say in a sense. And another thing is like, so I've just started, I want to do a triathlon. So I've just, <laughs> I am going to get onto that. <laughs> I am answering that question. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking promise. We're on it. We're going to go. So I want, I want to do a triathlon. I started open water swimming with my mate a couple of weeks ago. Um, we've been waking up, we've been doing it like seven or seven in the morning. And guys, the first time I did it, I woke up and I get foot to floor syndrome. So when I wake, I might be at seven 
and then if I don't bowl this, I might spike to like 13 or something like that. I get that. So You get that consistently. Yeah, yeah. It'll okay. be pretty much every morning, yeah. So for anyway, anyone, wait. sorry to interrupt you, Tom, well, but for anyone who doesn't know what Feet the Floor is, it's similar to the Dawn phenomenon. With the Dawn, it's almost like a more gradual rise throughout the night while you're asleep. Whereas Feet the Floor, essentially, your feet hit the floor in the morning, boom, mm. glucose is released <laughs> and you see that spike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically what I get as well. Um, so we got some challenging things in the fucking title. Dawn phenomenon, Feet the Floor, like, yeah, so... Anyway, I'm up at six in the morning, plan on meeting mate at seven, first time open water swimming. I've not swam for years. It's fucking freezing cold water. I haven't a fucking clue what'll go on with my blood glucose levels. I haven't a clue. Yeah, I've only done it twice. We're doing it again next week, like Tuesday, Thursdays ago. But I haven't a clue. So I wake up at six in the morning and I'm at about seven or eight moles. So I'm like, right, I'm on the higher end. Um I want a coffee, that normally spikes me. But what's gonna happen with this swim that I've got in an hour? I've not put a temp, a fucking basal rate on. Should I bowl this? I'm getting foot to floor now. Now I'm at 10 after my fucking cold shower. I'm at 10. I want a coffee. That's going to spike me. I've got a diagonal arrow up. Do I give a correction? But what's going to happen with this swim? Is it going to drop me? And that fucking stressed me. And in that moment, in that moment, for a split second, I was like, I wish I didn't have this. In that moment, I was like, it would be easier if I didn't have this. And it would be easier, but it <laughs> was a split second. It was a split second. Like, and the second time I, I like went into the swim, I was like 13, 14 moles. So I got that spike, but then I dropped after. So now it's a new thing for me. Like going back to the first thing we spoke about, this open water swim seems to keep me at a level. Then as soon as I've come out, it's like I get a drop. So that's the trend that I'm seeing. So I may have to pre-bowl this. I may have to give some insulin. We don't know yet. I want another day next week. But in that moment, I was like, when I was all this thing going from head, I was like, be easier if I weren't diabetic. Well, of course it fucking would, but I ain't got a choice. But that did get me, get me in that moment. So yeah, sometimes it'll be external stuff, and then sometimes it'll be the things that. And, and, and I'm, I'm gonna say this: if you're not a type one, you're listening to this. Do not take just being able to go out for a walk, go for a swim, go on a bike ride, go on a run, go and lift weights, have sex. Do not take that shit for granted. Do not take that for granted because you can just go and fucking do it. You don't need to think about if you've got any active insulin on board. You don't <laughs> yeah. need to think about when your last meal was. You don't need to think if you're going to drop or not. And you, so don't take it for granted, like people that aren't type one. And likewise, if you're a type one, like there's a lot of stuff that we take for granted as well, that we shouldn't take for granted. And that's like the access, like I know we were slating technology a bit before, but the access to the technology that we've had, probably the mental resilience that you're able to build up, the fucking mathematics side of shit that you've probably got to get a lot better at. Don't take any of that shit for granted. Yeah, big time. We weren't, yeah, look, we weren't slaying technology. It's fantastic. It's very handy. Um, yeah. But it's just important that you're in tune. But yeah, I completely agree. And that's one of the main takeaways I've had from living with diabetes for so long up to this point is being grateful for your health. Yeah. And it's such like a cliche thing to say. But when I was diagnosed, and much like you, Tom, fit, healthy, young, this idea of 
I'm 19, I'm invincible, nothing can happen to me. And then overnight. And you quickly see how fragile your health can be. And you're spot on there saying if somebody doesn't have diabetes, don't take those things for granted because you don't have to have all these various considerations to to think about prior to it. Yeah. But as well, even with diabetes, it's more of an incentive to be grateful for something that potentially could be worse. Yeah. Yeah, it it could be. And like, I guarantee like listening, every type one listening to this, (laughs) and I think we said this before, excuse me, my voice is cracking now. It's (laughs) it's, it's lingering. We've got the virus. I've got it again. I'm joking. (laughs) Um, I said this before. What did I say then? I forgot now. Yeah. So that was it. If you're a type one, like guaranteed, guarantee being a type one has brought something to your life that you can be grateful for. For me, I'm quite lucky it's been my business and and the ability to help people. Actually, I'm going to fucking say this before becoming a type one and like my business and stuff like that. I never realized how important it was to help other people. I never realized how important it was to help other people. I always used to think, and I see in a quote, this isn't mine, but this is so true. I always used to think like, um, I'll be happy when I've got a certain amount of money. I'll be happy when I'm doing this. I'll be happy when I'm doing that. But now, I, or I'm, I'll be living when I'm able to do this, or I feel like I'm living when I'm able to do that. Now I see I'm happy and I feel I'm living when I'm helping someone. And I wouldn't have that if I wasn't a type one. I wouldn't be able to do that. And I know we're both quite lucky in that respect, but even you guys listening to this, it might be a friend. You might, it might have the, the community, a friend that you've got to be grateful for. It might be you was eating like an absolute fucking dick before you got type 1 diabetes, and now you, you're more conscious on what you're eating. You might have never moved your ass off the fucking sofa before you got type 1, and now you're walking or you're running or you're like, I can, I can go on my bike, I can swim, I, I can do all this shit because I'm proving that I can do it because I'm a type 1. There's stuff like that. We've all got stuff that's come from this condition that we can be grateful for. And I know we're both big on this, mate. And I do this, guys. Like Every morning, I write down three things in every evening that I'm grateful for. And a lot of the time, things crop up in there like type 1 diabetes, insulin, my body, my health, eyes, ears, my legs, because I'm able to cycle and run, my arms. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Stuff like that that we bypass so much even as humans, and we're not grateful for. I mean, it sounds funny, but how often? When was the last time you said, mate, I'll be honest with you, you're grateful for your legs? Can't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so everyone listening to this now, I want you to write down on pen and paper, or just say it. I am grateful if you have got legs, like I'm hoping so, but I am grateful for my legs. <laughs> Yeah, I want you to actually say that because, or I'm grateful for my sight. What about if you've had um, poor sight? Like a few of my clients have had retinopathy and stuff and, you know, we've got the levels under control and now they're having to stop having injections and stuff. So if you've got healthy eyes like us, and be grateful for it. I'm grateful for my sight. I'm grateful for my ears. Do you know what I mean? Because not everyone has this shit. And I think that's super important as well. We get onto gratitude a lot, especially as type ones. It's easy to take those things for granted. Mm. when you are healthy yeah so if you can kind of scratch under the surface somehow and dig into that to say 
I am grateful for those things because you should be grateful for those things. Yeah. And maybe that stems from the fact that because we're living with type one, our eyes, our feet are essentially everything potentially can be affected years down the line. Yeah. That's why we get tests on them. Yeah. And we're aware of that. Yeah. And because we're aware of it, I don't want to wait now. I'm I'm quite confident that that day will hopefully never come, but I don't want to wait for a day where something happens to my health to then be grateful for that. Mm. Because let's say, for example, you went and your eyes were damaged in your next checkup, you would then be thinking, I wish my eyes were not damaged. Yeah. Or I should have appreciated that before that. It's taken that for it to happen. And this is, I'm glad you're saying that, mate, because I do speak to a lot of type ones and I'm like, why now? Why, why have you decided to reach out for help now? Why do you want to have better control of your glucose levels now? Well, I went to a doctor's appointment and they said, my eyes are going, I'm getting retinopathy, I'm getting all this. Guys, don't wait. Unfortunately, we spoke about this before. That seems to be the norm and how it is. But guys, don't wait no. until it's too late. Until you're told, hey, if you don't sort your shit out, you're going to go blind. Hey, if you don't do that, you're going to lose a foot or a leg or or you're going to get organ failure. Don't fucking wait. If you're listening to this now and you know you can have better control and you're like, oh, that'll never happen to me. It's fine. Like, Stop waiting. Don't wait until you're told something that you're taking for granted is going to be taken away from you. Because if you've got poor management of your diabetes, at some point it's inevitable. Sorry to be the one that tell you this. But you will get complications if you don't start managing it and looking after yourself. So, so don't wait until that day comes. Start now. If you know you can do better, start now. I suppose in a good way, a condition that so much of it will come down to us. Yeah. And so much of it is in our hands that yeah. we can. Like, obviously, there are things that we can't control with diabetes. There's, what, 42 confirmed factors that influence blood sugar. Some we can control, some we can't control. It's important that we work hard and work consistently to control the things we can control. Yeah. Like anything in life, isn't it? It's like control what you can control and let go of what you can't. Because I've had, and if we put this into context of diabetes now, I had um, a few clients start with me and they're like, They've been on my program a few weeks. The levels have been great. And I'm sure you've had clients like this as well. Oh, like the levels have been great. And they're like, um, before starting with me, they had a bit of back, background retinopathy or something was going on. It, it wasn't 100%, say whether it be the eyes or something. And they're like, right, I've got my next checkup in this few weeks. And I'm so fucking scared. What if it's gotten worse? What if that? What if that? And I say to them, I always say to them, you are controlling now everything you can control. You're eating well. You're being active. You're managing your bloods better. Do you know what I mean? You've decided to to take this on and take fucking diabetes by the balls, which I love saying, and, and be the healthiest version, the best possible version of yourself. So you're controlling everything you can control. What will happen in a certain set of results is out of your control if you're controlling to the best of your ability everything you can control. Yeah? Because let's be honest. If, say, I use retinopathy, but there is other things. If you was getting retinopathy, it was getting quite bad, and you decide, hey, right, 
I know why it's happened. I need to have better control of my health, my diabetes. And you go and do that and you decide to take the best control and then you go back and the retinopathy is just the same. You've controlled what you can. Worst case scenario, guess worse, you're still controlling what you can. You can control what you can. You can't always control the outcome of certain things like that. Love it. You're a wise man. Couldn't agree with anything you say more. <laughs> it's unreal. I asked you this the last time, but I finish every guest episode. Oi, oi. <laughs> There's the voice crack again. <laughs> so I finish every guest episode with this question. I asked you before, Tom, if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something, what would that be? I think I answered like my business and being able to help people and stuff last time. So I'm not going to say that again. I'm not, I'm not going to say that again. Um, I'm going to say what we were speaking about before, being grateful, being grateful for my health and like being grateful that I'm able to wake up every morning and have purpose. I know that gets onto my business and what I do and stuff, but and a big thing I put a post out about this. Actually, scrap that. Yeah, I am using it for being grateful. Yeah. But I would thank it for this. Every time I work out, every bike ride, every run recently, I've only run for the past six weeks, every workout at the gym, every time lifting weights, I see that, as well as controlling my health and helping to control my levels, I see that as an affirmation that I can do fucking anything I put my mind to with type 1 diabetes. So I'm grateful for that. This open water swim, I'm still getting to grips with it, knowing what to do with my level levels. But every time I'm getting in that water, I'm like, what will happen to my glucose levels? But fuck you, I'm still doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to do a triathlon. And a big part of my drive for that is because I'm a type 1 diabetic. I want to prove people have done it before, but... The best, I've got complete fucking utmost respect for them. They've done Ironmans and stuff, but to the utmost respect, fuck you because I don't care. I care about me. Uh, uh, and why? <laughs> and, and why? You always laugh at me, don't you? And, no, I'm loving it. Yeah, and why I'm doing all this exercise, this workout, this even growing my business, helping people. I'm doing it to say I can fucking achieve anything I put my mind to with type 1 diabetes, and I'm proving that. I'm proving that. And I'll be honest, before I got the condition, I spoke about this on my podcast um, episode a bit before, and still every now and again, this this mindset comes back to bite me in the fucking ass, but I was a big victim before I got type 1 diabetes. I was like, everything's going against me, yada, yada, and I've been through several bouts of depression, and I spoke about some recently and that as well. So that does come into my life every now and again, being a victim. I dread to think that if I didn't get type 1 diabetes, where that victimized mindset would have then taken me. Because now I see my diabetes as being a big fuck you, I can achieve whatever the fuck I want. I guaranteed would not have had that mindset if I wasn't a type 1 diabetic. You're a legend. Does that answer your question? Of course is it that does. <laughs> as always, you completely over-deliver with any question I ask. <laughs> I do want to follow up with one question just that came to mind when you were speaking there. Yes. What was, and I'm just curious to know, I'm sure anyone who's listening is too, what was the turning point for you when you went, you you say that you were admittedly 
kind of living in that victim's mentality. Mm. What was the turning point? Was it so, purely just being diagnosed? Um, so before being diagnosed, I was like, I, I was 21 at the time. I was in and out of job to job, um, rolling through life like you do at 21, not really knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I got diagnosed. I was like, hey, ho, so what? Like, it's all right. I count carbs and stuff. Shit, I'm never going to be able to eat cheesecake or Chinese again or Reese's. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. That, <laughs> that was the turning point. <laughs> Giving that up, no, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, but get that. And then I thought, oh, it's all right. I fucking accepted it. It's fine, yada, yada. And then about six months into being diagnosed, my first bout of depression hit. And it was, it was, it was bad. Not as bad as the most recent one, which I might speak about at some point on another episode, we can speak about that. But it was bad, yeah? And at the time, I didn't have a job. Um, I was on the dole. I wanted to be a fitness instructor, but I didn't know fully what I wanted to do in my life. I was like, maybe be a personal trainer. And I was depressed and I was standing in my own way. Um, and then that was the turning point after coming out of that depression. I finally got a job as a fitness instructor and I was like, hey, like things are looking up. And that was the the kind of turning point for me where I was like, right, I'm going to decide what I want to do with life. I'm going to make this type 1 diabetes work for me. And then throughout the years, like I was coaching people for fat loss and all that sort of stuff, you know, went online and that. Um, up until two years ago when I fully went in coaching people with type 1 diabetes. That was the initial turning point. But over the years since then, guys, I've had three, another like three bouts of being low and being depressed. I actually had one like eight or nine weeks ago. Like I said, maybe speak about that in another episode. You're happy to do that. Um, over, I did have that turning point, that initial turning point, like, right, Tom, you need to put your finger out your ass. But still over the years, my head still falls off and I still get down. But every time I get down, I learn something and I come back stronger. I fucking come back stronger every time. And I know I'll have another bout of being down or depression or whatever it is, like my head fucking falling off. I know it'll happen again. But now I'm in the mindset of I welcome it. I will open the fucking door because it will teach me something and it'll be another turning point and I'll come back stronger. I'll come back stronger. And there was a saying that, I like the other day, I'm going to share that, like, um, like life, and I share this on my Instagram today, life doesn't happen for you, it happens to you, and I think we need to trust the process of it as well, and I think that's a big thing, it doesn't happen for you, it happens to you, and that's something that I've been learning recently. So there was that specific turning point for me, the first part of depression, I, I need to pull my finger out my ass, decide what I want to do in my life. But over the years, there's been these other turning points. And every time I learn something, every time, and there's probably going to be many more. It struck me there that <laughs> it was like your years of going through trial and error with your diabetes and learning more about your blood sugar. This is almost like, obviously, a much greater scale, but trial and error of things that are happening to you and ways that you're feeling. And you're constantly re reassuring yourself that if things don't go as I'd like, I will confidently come back better. Yeah. Which is really nice to hear. It's always, always a lesson. I'm big on my clients with this, guys. And I'll say that, like, I've just told you a few of my stories and maybe we'll expand at one point, but you never do anything failure you never fail 
you, you'd never fail. You're not shit. You never fail. It's just a lesson. So in life, when you fuck up and get something wrong or it doesn't go your way, it's a lesson. Take it. it. There's some very hard lessons, and I've had some very hard lessons taught to me over the years, but I've taken the lessons now, and I say to my clients, this on life and in diabetes, if a day doesn't go as planned, if you have a big fucking spike, you have a lot of lows, it doesn't mean that you're failing. It's just a lesson. Take the lesson and do what you need to do with it. Mummy. so good you're a legend tom appreciate you being on again and for anybody who doesn't know where to find you i'm sure vast majority of people listening have have already been following you have you been living under a fucking rock guys not me on instagram or you don't listen to my podcast so go on what's your instagram what's your podcast so instagram is at type one underscore tom and my podcast is the Type 1 Movement podcast, which you can find on iTunes, like Spotify, Stitcher. Like, I'm all over the place. I'm fucking all over the place. The Type 1 Movement. Can't get rid of you sometimes. I know. Tom. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> you never get you never, you never get rid of me. I've been, watching, <laughs> I've been watching the Rocky films recently, and he says that to Adrian. You ain't never getting rid of me. Well, it doesn't sound like that, but you know, you ain't never getting rid of me. That's where the motivation is coming from, <laughs> watching Rocky every day. Yes. <laughs> Tom, appreciate your time as always, and I'll chat to you soon. Have a yes. good day. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Bye. Thanks for listening. Peace. How's it going? Owen here. Just dropping in to say a few words as usual before I let you go. Hope you enjoyed that episode. I know you got a lot of value from us because Tom really knows his stuff. As you can tell, he really is somebody who's so passionate about diabetes and it means a lot to him when people manage their blood sugar to the best of their own ability. So massive thank you again to tom for coming on i always i always enjoy the chats that we have if you did get value from it and if you are enjoying this podcast please rate it please comment please subscribe tell everybody in your family tell your neighbor down the road the more people that are listening hopefully the more diabetics that we can reach and that's ultimately the goal of the podcast so appreciate you listening if you do have a question if you do have a story to tell us regarding your own experiences with diabetes as we all do don't hesitate to reach out to myself and graham we love getting these emails in we really really enjoy doing the episodes specifically around the emails that have come in so if you do have a story if you do have a question email in to the podcast at gmail.com that goes to myself and graham so let us know we love seeing them we love hearing them until then have a fantastic week have a great day manage your blood sugars you know what you need to do i'll chat to you soon take it easy